Wanting Out of the Wilderness. Hey, welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard each day, not satisfied with just a little religion in life, as a shallow substitute for giving God our best. As the series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who were influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Well, we're halfway through a series called The Path of Loneliness, and today it's part five and six, Loneliness as a Wilderness, and Especially When We Want Out. We'll be hearing from Elizabeth's friend, Kathy Gilbert. And as we think about loneliness and suffering, we'll be thinking today about Elizabeth's silent years. Stay with us as her friend Kathy Gilbert tells us about that. Also today, we welcome back Steve McCauley, whose father, Ed, was one of the five missionaries killed in Operation Alka. He talks about the theme of Elizabeth's life and about one of his strongest memories. That later on today. Right now, it's part five of our series, The Path of Loneliness. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you about loneliness as a wilderness. I don't know about you, but I have certainly felt that loneliness can be a real wilderness, a place of desolation, isolation, strangeness, a fearsome place, a place that most of us don't like to be. In one of my earlier talks, I spoke about loneliness as a sudden tide that just pours over us. Most of us have experienced that at some time in our lives. Late one night, I was awakened by a phone call from a young woman whom I didn't know, and she told me a long story. She said, have you got some time? And I said, yes, I actually had quite a bit of time then, in the middle of the night. And so she began telling me her story. She told about how she was very successful in her work. Things had been going very well. And she had just now been told that she had an illness, which was probably going to be a progressive one, which was incurable. And she said, it just seems very strange that God would allow a thing like this to happen when everything had been going so well. Immediately when she used those words, very strange, I thought of a time in my own life when I was on my knees praying and reading the passage in First Peter where he says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you, as though some strange thing happened, it happens to give you a share in Christ's sufferings. Now that touches on a tremendous mystery, that we are given a share in Christ's sufferings. But I tried to explain to this woman that although it seemed very strange to her because her expectations were very different from what the will of God had turned out to be, that it was not really strange to him and that there was a purpose. To me, it makes a tremendous difference to know that nothing is for nothing, that there is a purpose. I remember 
another time when my niece, Beth, was staying in my house. And she used to do a lot of dating in those days. And one evening she came back, oh, I suppose after midnight, and she would usually come back to my room and sit on my bed and tell me all about what had happened. And that night we got to talking about happiness and singleness. And she had, I'm not sure whether she'd had some proposals by that time or not, but she very much wanted to be married. And I pointed out to her that it was possible that God wanted her to remain single. And she said, oh, Aunt Betty, she said, I don't think that's possible. And I said, why? Well, because she said, Jesus wants me to be happy. And I could never be happy unless I were married. And I said, now, wait a minute, Beth. Jesus wants you to be happy. Yes, I can agree with that. But Jesus's idea of happiness for you may be very different from your own definition. And he knows the true route to happiness, and you don't. He wants you to be happy, but perhaps in a very much deeper way than you can even imagine right now when marriage seems to be the most important thing in the world. Well, poor Beth was in tears before we finished that conversation because she was afraid that God might not want her to have the one thing which would make her happy. Have you ever felt that way? I certainly remember my struggles with that awesome thing called the will of God. What if my will is always in conflict with God's will? What if God wants to take away from me everything that I want? What if nothing that I want fits in with his will? Well, let's look at it for a moment from a different perspective. Ancient man, the Greeks, for example, were concerned about goodness modern man is concerned about happiness. As I read my Bible, I am convinced that in God's book, goodness and happiness ultimately come to the same thing. But it has to be his definition of goodness and his definition of happiness. The best place for us to take our cues as to how we are supposed to live is the life of Jesus. We're talking about loneliness. Did Jesus really experience loneliness? Yes, he most certainly did. It was at the beginning of his public ministry that he was baptized, you may remember, by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And at the time of his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and the voice of God was heard saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And right after that, have you ever noticed the sequence of events here? Jesus, it says, was led by that same Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Think about that. He had just been baptized. God had just validated who he was by saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear him, and then God the Holy Spirit leads him into a very strange place for a very strange purpose, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And we're told elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus was tempted in every point in which you and I are. The Bible tells us that he was there in the wilderness with the angels and the wild beasts. There was a time when the idea of being alone in the wilderness with the wild beasts sounded pretty scary to me. But when I came to love a little black dog by the name of Macduff, I remember sitting in my chair one day reading this passage about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and looking down into the face of that bright-eyed little black dog who had little pointy ears and little square beard and thinking, you're a little wild beast. You're one of God's creatures. He designed you. He made you. You're not a person. You're a little animal. But you were assigned to me. God assigned Macduff for my comfort and my pleasure. And I couldn't help but think, Jesus was a friend of the wild beasts. There could not possibly have been any animosity between him and the beasts of the wilderness. He was the one who had made them. And so it seems to me that very likely God sent him not only angels to comfort him and watch over him and meet his needs, but the wild beasts to comfort him. But there weren't any people. He was lonely in that sense. In some of my lonely times, I was comforted by Macduff. Not that Macduff could meet my heart's needs. Even a person can't meet my deepest heart's needs. Only God can do that. But God has all kinds of ministers whom he appoints for our comfort and our help. Jesus was with the wild beasts in the wilderness, and then, you remember, somebody came to meet him. And that somebody was his arch enemy, Satan. You may be in a wilderness of loneliness today. It may be very possible that Satan, in some form, has come to you for the same reason that he came to Jesus, to tempt him. And he makes right seem impossible, and he makes wrong seem very attractive. Do you know what I mean? Satan offered Jesus all the essentials for, quote, happiness, unquote. Happiness in the sense in which the world defines it. The essentials for happiness, the world would say, are the satisfaction of physical desire. There's nothing better than sex in some people's minds. How about food? How about lying on the beach and getting a suntan? How about scuba diving or water skiing or hang gliding? Essentials for happiness, satisfaction of physical desires, that's what Satan offered Jesus. He said, you can turn these stones into bread if you want to. And Jesus' reply was, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He offered him also immunity from danger. Wouldn't you love to have that? Perfect security. And he offered him, thirdly, all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And I take that to mean everything that the world has to offer. Power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. Is there anything else you want? That's exactly what Satan was offering to Jesus in the wilderness of his loneliness. And there are times when Satan comes to us with great power and makes right seem impossible 
and wrong seem very attractive. At such a time, we need to answer him in exactly the way Jesus did Satan. He went right back to the written word of God. Open your Bible and tell Satan, it is written, it is written. Gateway to Joy 19, the fifth in the Path of Loneliness series, Loneliness as a Wilderness. Later on, we'll hear part six, especially when we want out. Right now, though, we hear from Elizabeth's friend, Kathy Gilbert. Wife, mother, grandmother, we've been thinking about the wilderness of loneliness. Think about Elizabeth's silent years right now. In 2001, she sent me a box of books, signing them to me from her. And I know and realize, looking back, that it was part of her purge. She was taking her treasures and giving them out to those that she knew would treasure them too, because she knew that she was what was coming because of her own mother's silent years. Friend of Elizabeth, Kathy Gilbert, talking about Elizabeth's silent years. Later on, we'll hear from Steve McCauley. His father, Ed, was one of those killed in Operation Alka. He'll talk about a key theme in the life of Elizabeth Elliot. That's later on. Right now, it's part six of The Path of Loneliness, Gateway to Joy 20. It's called Especially When We Want Out. Most of us, if we've ever felt lonely, wanted out. And I can very well remember one of those vivid experiences. It was about 30 years ago when I was living in the eastern jungle of Ecuador in a very small leaf shelter. It was just a little house with six poles and a leaf roof, no walls, no floors, no furniture, in a little clearing. But I had gone out from that clearing to what I thought of as civilization, the nearest mission station. And it took me two days by trail and one day by canoe to get there. I was on my way back to the clearing where I lived, and I had spent the night on a sandy beach of the Kurarai River, where the Indians who were poling the canoes in which my daughter and I traveled had built us a leaf shelter. It was always a wonderful experience to see experts doing things expertly in the jungle. If you would put a jungle Indian on the corner of 5th Avenue and 42nd Street, he might be slightly bewildered. He would know where north and south and east and west were, which you might not know, but they never lose their orientation. But he might not know anything about the street lights or how to get across or what all these things were going on around him. Well, if you think the Indian would look kind of stupid, can you imagine how you would feel in the jungle if you found yourself on a sandy beach and the sun was going down and you had to build yourself some kind of a shelter because you didn't have a tent? It didn't take the Indians any time at all to cut the reeds, which were exactly the right kind, to jam them into the sand at an angle and to lay on top of them leaves, which also had to be exactly the right kind, and make a little lean-to. Maybe half an hour or so they could spend doing that, and then they would, in no time at all, get a fire going in front of the lean-to, and there you had a cozy little place to spend the night. Well, I had spent the night in such a shelter, 
My daughter was lying on the sand beside me. She was still asleep when I woke and realized that it was raining. I mean, it was coming down, as only the rain in the rainforest can come down. We had two seasons in the jungle of Ecuador. We called one the rainy season and the other one was the rainier season. And I don't remember whether this was the rainy one or the rainier one, but it was coming down in sheets. And I knew that very soon the leaf shelter was going to begin to leak because they didn't last more than a night or two. And what we had on the agenda for that day was a trip up the last river, a small river which we had to travel up by canoe in order to get to the trail, which took us finally to the clearing where we lived. And I could see that the Kurarai River, on which we were at that moment, was swelling rapidly. It was getting muddy, and I knew that the river that we were going to have to travel up, which was a tributary of the Kurarai, was going to also be in flood. I could imagine that it was going to be very difficult for the Indians to pole, and so it would be a slower trip. And I knew very well that we were going to be absolutely soaked to the skin all the way. Believe it or not, it can be quite cold in the eastern jungle of Ecuador because we were at an altitude of about a thousand feet in what's called the Amazon rainforest. Do you want to hear about the mood that I was in at that moment as I sat in my leaf shelter glumly looking out at that pouring rain and that swelling river? Well, in a word, it was a bad one. The last thing in the world I wanted to do was to get into that canoe sit in the bottom, which usually meant sitting in three or four inches of cold water when it was raining, and go back to that very lonely, very isolated little clearing. There were times when I looked forward to getting back to the clearing. This time, everything just seemed hopeless, and I felt helpless. There was nothing exciting. There was nothing romantic about it. All my dreams of being a jungle missionary had long since evaporated, and this was the hard reality. There were no ingredients whatsoever of what you might call fun. I wanted out. I don't know what your day is like today. What are your prospects? Is there anything that you would love to get out of? Is there any reason for feeling lonely? Perhaps you've been misunderstood. Perhaps you've been blamed for something at work, something at church, something in your home, something in your neighborhood that you really didn't deserve blame for. Maybe you're in what seems to be a prison. Maybe you're in a real prison. Maybe you're in a situation from which you find no escape whatsoever, and you're feeling a little bit frantic, a little bit claustrophobic and desperate. Lord, get me out of this. How do you think Jesus felt when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness? I think he felt just the way you and I would feel. In fact, the Bible tells us that he has felt everything that we have felt. He was faced with real temptations, the temptation for the satisfaction of physical desire the temptation to make himself immune from danger by doing a very foolish thing and asking God to save him, the temptation 
to receive all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And as far as we know, Satan must have had that in his power or he couldn't have offered it to Jesus. But Jesus' response to Satan was the written word of God. And that day, I turned to the written word of God. I knew that there wasn't anywhere else to turn. I couldn't ask the Indians to get me out of this. All they were there for was to do what needed to be done, which was to pole the canoes and get me where I was supposed to go. I couldn't ask my daughter to do anything about it. She was three years old. So I asked God. I opened my Bible, and the words that God brought to my attention were his promise to his disciples just before he left them. Lo, I am with you all the days. In the old King James Version, it says, Lo, I am with you always. Lo is an old English word. It just means look or listen to this. Or did you know that I am with you? And one translation says, all the days. And I love that because there are a lot of days which seem pretty dark and gloomy. There are days of sunshine. There are ordinary days when there's sunshine and clouds. He's with us each one of those days. And on this particular miserable pouring rain day in the eastern jungle of Ecuador, on that isolated river a million miles from nowhere, that's the way I felt anyway, God was saying to me, look, I'm here with you. I promised I'd never leave you. I said I would be with you all the days, this particular rainy Tuesday. Sometimes we see some easy ways to get out of our situation. I could, of course, have told the Indians to patch the roof. We could sit there and camp another day or so. And then we would just head back out to civilization instead of to that lonely clearing. But that wasn't God's way. I knew that my security did not lie anywhere except in his will, not outside of it. People sometimes say to me, but the will of God, it's so scary. I mean, don't you think it's scary? What if he did to me what he did to you? And I'm always slightly amused by a remark like that. What God did to me? How about what God did for me? He's been there. He has met me. He has given me grace. He's given me peace. When I was feeling utterly helpless and miserable and lonely and disgusted with life and everything else, my security lies in his will. The way of the cross leads home. And the way of the cross is obedience. Satan had offered to Jesus satisfaction of physical desire, immunity from danger in the kingdoms of the world without the cross. Without the cross. And Jesus knew that he had come into the world to do the will of his Father. And the will of his Father included the cross. By going through that experience, he knew that he would be given joy happiness, the satisfaction of all his desires, protection from danger, and ultimately all the kingdoms of the world in their glory through the cross, because of the cross, after the cross. We are here in our appointed place. 
even this lonely place can be God's appointment, the place where we can meet with Christ, our lover. Have you ever been in love? Do you remember to what ends you would go, what efforts you would make, with what enthusiasm you would arrange a meeting place alone with your lover? That's the way it should be with us and God. Meet him there alone. Meet him wherever you are. Yeah, especially when we want out. Gateway to Joy 20. Sometimes we do want out, don't we? Loneliness can affect us when we lose a loved one. Steve McCauley was just three when his father was killed in Operation Alka, his father Ed McCauley. And through all the loss, Steve tells us that trusting and obeying was a key part of the life of Elizabeth Elliot. One of the things that she points out in, in all of her writing, you know, is that you know, she's like all of us, you know, she's a sinner. She made mistakes. She did things wrong. But I think what made her special was, you know, I always go back to the old, I've read it so many times in her writing. You know, I don't know what her favorite song was, but the one that I can always remember coming up is the, just the old trust and obey. We trust in the Lord and we do his will as best we can. We mess up, but he understands we're going to mess up. And we get his forgiveness and we go. That's And again, that's not a surprise because everybody who knows anything about her knows that's that's her. But that's my, that's my strongest memory of Elizabeth. And it was confirmed four years after she died reading the book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. That was, you know, from her speaking long before she died. That was Steve McCauley, coach, teacher, and the son of Ed McCauley from Operation Alka. Well, our time is coming to an end. Thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources at elizabethelliot.org. elizabethelliot.org. And tell a friend about the website for the talks, the devotionals, the videos, and more at elizabethelliot.org. And tell a friend about this uh, series that you listen to, and spread the word so that more will find out about us. And if you get a chance, leave a review. Thanks. Until next time, may God remind you daily that you're loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are the everlasting arms.